Hey everybody, welcome to the Bald Move television podcast, or the officially unofficial podcast for literally, uh, I'm not joking, all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Uh, today we're talking about the sixth episode of season two of The Deuce, entitled We're All Beasts, when it comes to, when it comes to making the beast of two backs. <laughs> By definition, we're all uh-huh. back, or three, or four, or any configuration of beast you want to put it in. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly three. By the end of this episode, yeah, get get your consent and get your freak on. What do you think of this episode, Jim? Uh, oh, I hated it. It yeah. was it was awful. It is was the, just is, is a really off week for the deuce. Yeah, the deuce just doing the same thing over and over. No, more like love... thrice. Am I right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> no, I of course I thought it was awesome. Uh, I I felt this coming a mile away and it just felt natural that frankie gets candy mixed up in the mob again you know the one thing she didn't want to do yep the the ultimate goal she had at the beginning was do this film without mob money that's it uh and make it her way and now frankie i knew he was going to be trouble in this production i guess i didn't see the mob connection coming back in but it makes sense i was looking for how we'd fuck vincent with uh-huh. the mob and yeah. getting into money. I, oh, that's coming too. I but. wasn't, I was not, I wasn't, because here's the thing, like 20 grand, 25% for 20 grand. I know, man. That's terrible. And plus she's already given away other percentages. She's given away at least 10 to that movie guy yeah. who's, who's uh, Johnson, she polished. Right, right. She, she, surely Harvey has some, She right? got a, she got a worse deal out of Rudy. Like, you know, 20, yeah. 25% for 20 grand. Like, mm-hmm. I... And the thing is, is like, what is she going to do? She going to be like, is she, when Rudy comes to collect, she's going to be like, oh, this wasn't a valid agreement. He's like, was he a producer or not? Like... <laughs> right. Ah, it's so... He's, so, he's co-producer. So scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then all the stuff that's happening with, like, Dorothy also scares me because yeah. it, I feel like Abby and that, that dude who's helping her out, I don't know right. his name, uh, have the right idea, play the long game, uh, they're, they're going to get the support they need, make the deals with the pimps, it's all in an effort to change the atmosphere, but Dorothy wants to go in and help individuals, which is sort of counter to what she was talking about a few episodes ago when she said, you know, we need to give these women the support they need. I. Not really, but it the the scale is different here, right? The approach is very different, and I yeah. feel like Dorothy's making a mistake. Yeah, but that's so. This is why progressive politics is tough in a nutshell, because you've got the people that are kind of like the moderates that are not in the crisis situation, right? And mm-hmm. they're saying, "Hey, we got to take the long term, keep our eye on the ball, and make real systemic change." Mm-hmm. And the communities that are being affected and actually directly victimized are like, fuck that, we're dying. Storm to Bastille. We want to change right now. And I don't know how you solve that tension. It seems like if you want to get, uh, if you want to get things done in some sort of progress, you you have to build a a wide alliance, which means you have to fight all the fronts at all the same (laughs) time. I I think... And how do you, you need do that? To make, you need to make it look like you're fighting the fronts that the people are screaming about uh-huh. and fight the fronts that actually matter more. But then you when know? that gets exposed, the the communities that have been your allies can rightfully say, you rat fuckers, you've been selling what, what us out. What do you out. mean exposed? They're not selling anybody out. What they're doing, what I'm suggesting here is that they do just enough to appease the people who are screaming <laughs> right, and yelling right. while putting the bulk of their effort into the systemic change, which is actually going to change the future for generations of people. No, I... 
hey, I'm not arguing. You got to do you. just enough to appease. I'm just saying those that people. if that if that game ever gets out, and spoiler alert, it almost always does because the people in the making these meetings and doing the steering committees, they're all. You know that they're 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 all made up of these con- different competing interests, and like the second there's like rat fuckery about, there's it's going to be talked about and loudly, especially now at the internet. So like, mm-hmm. like I said, it's like you just have to fight a twelve front war. You have to fight for sex workers. You have to fight for trans rights and homosexual rights and Latina Latinx rights and African American rights and for the poor and for all simultaneously keep all those balls in the air, or your coalition falls apart and you can't. You lose to the the pro uh, to the uh, pro life uh, pro gun uh, contingent or the, the you know the economic uh, re, you know realist contingent or the the the, the fiscal conservative contingent that ne- that's kind of like more in lockstep because there's not nearly as many competing interests there um, and I, I just like I said it's like I David Simon does the thing what he gets away with it it's a lot I guess which is essentially shine a spotlight on a problem that he sees but not offer a helpful solution because what what do you do I mean I guess this is his kind of thesis is large systems like you said that are concentrated on doing these big things are going to ignore the little folk mm-hmm. so like it's up to each of us as individuals in the form of like Abby like Abby had a couple grand she made this thing happen Mm-hmm. Um, but how many Abbeys are there and how many chocolates are there? Never enough. There, yeah. there can't ever be enough. Uh, the, the, the thing that David Simon, I think the reason he gets away with kind of shining the spotlight without having the actual real answers is because this is a period piece and it's sort of historically accurate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we haven't solved the problem. Therefore, sure. David Simon doesn't have to solve the problem, right? Right, right, right? He simply needs to portray what's going on there and the problems uh, and show how we responded to them as opposed to what the actual solution would be. Yeah, no. And that guy's, I, I felt like that there was a lot of like, and that's the other thing is like, I don't think a lot of people talk about this stuff. Um, you know, the real, because uh, outside of like I guess broadly the left, it seems like everything is just liberal. Whereas there's a lot of real tension between liberals like uh, Abby and what's his face and yeah. real progress, you know, like like real grassroots pro- pro- um, uh, progressives. Like there's like you know you've got these like wise moderates trying to be like, hey, you know, pump the brakes. We won't go crazy again. While the other people are on fire, being shot at and dying, mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, Whew, it's it's a it's a hell of a hell of a knot hell of a knot to try to untie mm-hmm. um but yeah no i i i i also thought it was really cool to see the whole like like to see the entire movie shot in like one single episode mm-hmm. and have it kind of everything else kind of step aside and see this admittedly very cool movie concept like i would unironically watch red hot <laughs> If it existed right now, just for Larry's performance alone. For Larry's performance, okay. Yeah, no, Larry is uh, that whole that that thing where he leans his head into the peep show. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I, I I thought it was smart to take the little the the little the little Red Riding Hood myth and move it into the city, like the city, like but mm-hmm. that like just really sold like a wolf at your door, threaten to huff and puff and let. I, I just thought I don't know like I it, it seemed like really smart and like subversive and sexy in the exact kind of way these golden age of pornos are and it's like we would always talk about that Mad Men it's kind of challenging to write an ad campaign that's a fake ad campaign that is mm-hmm. a plausibly like good or 
you know, as Lost demonstrated, uh, write a hit pop song or rock song that's a fake rock song that's legitimately good. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they did. Of course, it's, you know, they don't have to actually do the whole thing. But from what we see, it seems like a banging golden age of porno porno. <laughs> I could have done without the teeth. <laughs> yeah, I think ditch the teeth and the movie's 85% better. I think, yeah, I mean, I guess they should have gone with more like classy vampire teeth than like fucked up Austin Powers teeth. I, I, yeah, I, did, did they have that stuff back then on the porno budget? I don't know. Like, yeah, like because cause you're right, it, it read more as... Um, uh, yeah, it read it more silly as, to me. It read more as like he needs a dentist rather than he is a wolf. Yeah. As, and it made it hard to understand his lines yeah, and hard to act. Yeah. And I ditched the teeth, and that's a much better movie. Yeah, I mean, Lance Minx had it right as he was talking about Lance Minx in the, in the third person. Lance Minx doesn't you know, need these props. Fuck that guy. Lance Minx spent four grand on these caps, and he wants people to see it. Lance Minx. Lance Minx. go fuck himself. Lance I, Minx is so great. Dude, what a diva. What a fucking <laughs> for, diva, this for guy. What, like, I, again, it's like... Uh, It'd be like if you called a plumber mm-hmm. and like, you know, maybe you had a drop of pee in the back of the thing and he gets in there and is like, what? What? This this toilet's not pristine. You want me to plunge this thing? Oh, I don't work in it. Like you're you're shooting porn, dude. Uh-huh. What is this diva shit? But I don't know. I guess it just goes to show that, you know, there's a little bit of diva in everybody. Even in the porn industry. Yeah. I Even mean, in the porn industry. Yeah. That's the thing. She went and she hired the best quote unquote actor she could find, right? Uh, on their budget, anyway, who would right. be willing to do porn, <laughs> right? Uh, and yeah, firing him and getting Larry on board, I think, was a good choice. But man, the stink that Harvey puts up, mm. you know, not because he gives a shit about like what color Larry's skin is, but he can't market this. Mm. Is is his contention? I think he turns around by the end. Should we get yeah, right? Yeah. Should we just go ahead and get into a formal discussion of this? Yeah. Um, all right, let's do that. Hey, before we get to that uh, in-depth episode discussion, I want to talk about some housekeeping first. Uh, Jim and I are really excited about a new feature, a new seasonal feature we're about to preview called the Super Serious Film Fest. Uh, I had a couple design goals for this. One is to kind of be the spiritual successor to commission podcasts where we can kind of talk about, you know, movies that we have, uh, you know, soft spots for and in a more structured and interesting kind of way. And our first Super Serious Film Fest is going to be subtitled Season of the Cage. Uh, Nick Cage is one of our favorite actors. Uh, he's been in some of the best movies in Hollywood. He's also been in some of the worst movies in Hollywood. And we're going to do a six film festival where three of them are good cage. Three of them are bad cage. And we're going to live watch them all. We're going to talk about the movies in terms of what, what works and what doesn't work. What's silly, what's ridiculous, what's good. Uh, and then we're also going to bring in, uh, our, our in-house director, Guy Ferrari, uh, to like, yeah, just to spice up. We're gonna we're talking about how like you could potentially fix the problems of the movie, remake the film, or perhaps film a sequel in the case of a really good one. Uh, and some of these are going to be like club only features, but the main like discussion podcast is going to be available for everyone. And we're doing a lot of like really cool video uh, aspects of it uh, for, and we're going to post some of this stuff on YouTube for again for public consumption. Pretty excited about Super Serious Film Fest. Be starting next week, uh, so check that out. Uh, We also have the Romanovs, uh, Matthew Weiner's return to television on Amazon. They dropped the first two episodes this week. Jim and I already have a podcast out on that, and we'll be doing each episode as they go. 
Uh, we're also wrapping up Better Call Saul Season 4 and our wrap-up podcast this week. Cecily and I are still having a ton of crazy, uh, spooky fun with American Horror Story. And also, Jim and I took uh, a chance on Bad Times El Royale and had some mixed reviews of that. If you want to hear us talk about that movie or Oliver Stone's JFK, check out the Bald Move movie feeds. And that's what's happening this week. So we talked about we, we, we started getting into the thing with Harvey and Eileen. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting about, you know, this guerrilla style filmmaking, which I was scared to death the whole time because I thought like people were going to get arrested just on the you know, not having, you know, I thought that bad things were going to happen. And in fact, like so many bad things almost happened uh, when finally the worst thing that happened, which is essentially Larry got falsely imprisoned for bullshit reasons. Um like I was kind of a relief, like no one got shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole production didn't get jailed and shut down. And she's not like $30,000 in debt with no movie. Um, but it sets up a lot of tension because Harvey, like they're at one point $35,000 in the hole in this movie and it's not even done. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was also interesting that um, there, there seems like there's a lot of tension between him and his wife. Jaws. Okay. Uh, like they were like having kind of like this intense like argument match in the background. I think Jocelyn really believes in Eileen's vision, and Harvey's been skeptical the whole time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's going to last because, like we said at the end of the episode, it, I felt like Harvey'd come around. He's like, you know, this is I would never have conceived this myself, but maybe, maybe the female brain can generate erotica <laughs> the male brain has never conceived of before. Yeah, and maybe this won't be the the death knell of the studio. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I don't know. It's I do think he is much more sold on the idea coming to the end of this, but that's still I I don't think they have this entire movie shot or do they? I think you're supposed I, I to understand that, that grandma that scene, scene is like that's the that that's the end. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm so used to movies shooting out of order that I didn't I didn't assume that that was the last shot of the shoot. I think it, was spo- it wasn't supposed to be, but because uh-huh. they had to scrap all the footage with uh, Frankie's girlfriend. Yeah. Which, or wife. Uh, which, <laughs> right. by the way, I did not know that she was that thick, man. Yeah. Like, when she whips out and's like, uh, does this look like a grandma to you? <laughs> I always thought that she was, like, really thin, like the girl from the Americans. Mm, and no, no, no. Yeah, and like that look that Larry behind you know gave about like the she lady you know Frankie looks back for validation and he's like oh, I don't know that's, that's not grandma I'm, I'm a wolf and I can say that's that's not grandma right so good uh, there's a lot of like <laughs> little little stingers like that like um, Leon uh, when Frankie in desperation mm. says hey were you talking about that pie he's like oh pie ain't gonna help none brother because <laughs> you're trying to you're, you're trying, trying to, to f- let her down easy and it's yeah uh, it, well it's interesting because like frankie is completely in this episode unable to tell his wife that she's fired right he, yes that's, he does that's everything except say yes you're fired that's a tough one uh i think she gets it by the end of this conversation she yeah. understands she knows she's probably not going to go back to set and she, uh, she kicked him out, so that's bad. She kicked him out. Yeah, they. they he, he. Remember when he's sleeping on the porn set? Oh, uh, Eileen shit, asked him. Right. He's like, "Oh yeah, okay. what's your, yeah, yeah, yeah." I kind of missed that. Um, so yeah, Frankie can't tell her, and then you look at Vincent, and he's coming clean to Abby, which I think is a little bit healthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're kind of setting up a juxtaposition between the two, which you know that's that's what the good brother work in this show does is show how they're different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know everything about 
Frankie in this episode. He he comes in. He's the hero. Uh, he gets this bag of cash. He doesn't tell anybody where it's from. I can't Nobody believe he asks where yeah, it's from. I mean, I guess because they just assume that he put got lucky on a horse or something. Right, right. Uh, because he's, you know, Frankie <laughs> comes in and comes out with bags of money all the time. But, yeah. you know, if I was Eileen, I'd ask that question. Probably. I, I kept waiting for it until right up to the very end of that scene. But it also with, uh, with mafia deals, I don't know that, like, there's a, hey, you got three days to reconsider this and give back the money clause no like once frankie shook on it i think uh that's goomba law right there yeah you're not you're not gonna back out of that deal i, I mean, don't think so i, I mean you look at everything try. look at everything that vincent said in this episode yeah. you know yeah how he he got into it thinking oh i can get out at any time and that's what he was telling people mm-hmm. and telling himself to a certain degree and that's just not possible i think frankie's in the same situation now and i think I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, it, I guess it depends on how deep you are in. But I feel like mm-hmm. Vincent could get out, but it would be a process, and he would be like out in the cold. Like he couldn't get mm-hmm. out, and then like, hey, Rudy, I want to get out of like all of the hustles I find distasteful, but I'll gladly keep three sixty six and hi hat and all the stuff that's like good clean money. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have to like just get out. And I think, and I guess that's one of the things I'm wondering about, like how much of his I'm trapped is he's trapped and like, they'll cap me and I'll be sleeping with the fishes or it's trapped because I've got this lifestyle and this, this way of life that I don't Hmm. want to give up. So I'm, I'm trapped just from a, like a, a selfish animal creature standpoint. Could be, I don't know. Um, I did. So they mentioned the green door, which is the full title that's behind the green door. Because uh, Eileen uses that as a um, as a um, mainstream adult movie success that features interracial sex scene, and it was mm-hmm. one of the first. Uh, so first of all, it I turns out because uh, I searched for Green Door, and before the Wikipedia article on it, like six different like free streaming links popped up yep. that you can watch it. Uh-huh. So I'm like, hell yeah, I will watch this <laughs> mid seventies porno with the first interracial scene on it, uh-huh. and. It was an interesting experience. Um, I highly recommend everyone fast forward to like the third act part because there is a seven minute long psychedelic ejaculation sequence where you know how I don't know what that means. Okay. okay. (laughs) Do you know like in in Nick Cage's Mandy movie that we just saw? No, no, I don't want. You you know, during that drug trip where the colors were shifting and melting. Imagine a guy jerking off into a a, a girl's face from like 17 different angles, all with that color treatment. And like the cosmic music. It's 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 it's, I'm not joking. It's like seven (laughs) minutes long of of psychedelic spooge. It's fucking weird, man. Yeah. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah. But but when he says it's just one scene, it's 45 minutes out of an hour and 15 minute long porno. Like there's a there's a 45 minute fuck session between this black dude and the white one. So like, gotcha. It's a little it's seven minutes of which and seven minutes of remainder is psychedelic. Yeah, the rest is like uh, a a lesbian gangbang and just Mm. you know they close in a fairly vanilla sex scene. Interesting. Yeah, Uh, that's my review of Behind the Green Door. All right. Uh, Apparently, I I was watching the after credits stuff mm -hmm. uh, for this episode, and they said that. Candy is loosely based on a woman named Candida Royale, uh, who kind of got right. behind the scenes of the porn industry and was was doing stuff very similar to Candy. Uh, I don't I don't know if she's the one who made that movie, The mm. Green Door. I don't think so. Okay, 
but I, I didn't know if there was a tie there or not. The, the woman that starred in it, I think her name's Maureen Chalmers. She was like a, 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 a porno, like a early porno celebrity. Hmm. Um, and I was wondering if maybe it was kind of like if, if there was any kind of similarity there, but I, I ran out of research time. Um, but yeah, it, I think a lot like a lot of stuff here in the deuce, like she's a, like a composite or amalgam, you know, of different different characters, real life characters, because, you, you know, a lot of these people are still alive. You don't want to get sued. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was funny how uh, Eileen uh, was unwilling to reconsider calling the grandma something besides grandma mm -hmm. and then when she casts herself in a part she's like oh, i'm gonna be the hot aunt <laughs> yeah <laughs> like fuck i'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna be a grandma <laughs> what the hell with that um and but it's also cool that like her and jocelyn um or, or i guess jocelyn's discovery of the old-timey uh looney tunes mm -hmm. cartoon where the grandma rapes the, the, turns the table and rapes the wolf like straight up mm -hmm. straight up 1950s wholesome america and she's like that's that's it like it you can like that's exactly the kind of sexual energy she wants the fact that they lure this predator in for the kill mm -hmm. uh and down to where she's like kind of like licking the key just like they, she, they lifted a lot of these bits right from the cartoon i thought that was hilarious yeah um and like you can tell like she's like you know taking scenes from different like movies and pornifying them which seemed like that's the golden age of porno in a nutshell just take techniques in popular culture and do it through some hardcore fucking in there too mm -hmm. um but yeah uh you didn't like so you didn't like larry as the wolf uh i liked him i i just wasn't like blown away by that that performance no the whole uh i'm not just selling wolf tickets i had i had to look that up apparently that's like uh uh a phrase meaning like uh it, it's it's um like it's supposed to be wolf tickets but um it got it you know got mistranscribed as wolf and then but it's essentially like your your bark is worse than your bite your your is worse than your bite or you're like you're just you're just barking you're you're all talk essentially. So when he says I'm not just selling wolf tickets, he's like I'm not making idle threats. I thought, hmm. you know, I don't know if you want to flash out some '70s uh, pimp slang on somebody. <laughs> not really. There you go. No, really, you don't want to no. do any of that. I actually thought that this scene was less uh, effective than the jail scene from yeah yeah the, one of the previous uh, episodes. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I, I wasn't feeling it from Larry in this scene. Maybe it's probably the teeth. The fucking teeth, I oh, couldn't get I, past him. I fucking loved it when he leans in with the, the Ray-Bans. <laughs> and also, like, every time they flop that fake penis out. Because <laughs> right. like, you, can just, tell it's the window, a, you yeah. can just tell it's like, a, it's like a goddamn dildo in this one. But it's just like, it's like you know, you're going to pull uh -huh. me in the right direction. <laughs> the thing comes up. I need to get, like, uh, somebody needs to make a gif of that with, like, the penis with the, like, smiley face, googly eyes, like, mm -hmm. coming out of the, the frame. Because... You know, it seems like you could use those reaction gifts for a lot of a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I also thought that this is, you know, obviously Frankie fucking up in a giant Frankie way. Mm -hmm. But there is a moment here where, like, I thought that they were going to subvert our expectations. And this is going to be the tale of Frankie kind of like learning some things because there's uh, like a kind of blink and you miss a scene of him using the seamstress connection that he made from the dry cleaners to fix the red riding hood uh zipper explosion yeah he said and he's day. like yeah boom producer and i'm like mm -hmm. and he did fire his wife yeah like okay he's actually doing some smart things he's doing some hard things mm -hmm. 
But then, you know, when the, the shoe heist, the left foot. <laughs> and the fact that Carlos has just become a, the butt of everyone's jokes. Yeah. He's like this drunk that can't protect anybody, can't drive straight. He gets bad tips where you, you just steal uh, left feet shoes from some outfit. And then, and then Frankie's the type of guy who just wears the two left feet. Yeah, I felt like that said so much about Frankie. It do, and the way he was, like, propping him up and, like, hey, yeah, look at him. Hell, yeah, I'm wearing these Just because they're shiny. Like, right. He doesn't realize how ridiculous he looks wearing these things. These are two patent leather left feet, yeah. I'll have you know. It's, it's so Frankie. Um, let, let me ask you this. Rudy's attitude on the whole thing is very cavalier. Very casual. Because he hasn't paid. Like, this is, like, I, I think he's right. Like, this is high comedy to him. Like he's, Yeah, but, I mean, this is a huge, this is a fuck up. Oh, right? It's a huge like, fuck up, but it's, he didn't do it, and he's not paying any money for it. I get it, but Carlos is under his employ. I, I, Carlos drives yeah. away, smashing cars, drunk from the scene of a heist. Now right. he's 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 heisting trucks with left shoes only. Right. I mean, how how long until Carlos makes a mistake that Rudy can't just laugh off? That's what I'm worried. He about. needs to make a, a non hilarious mistake. <laughs> I mean, so far, all of his mistakes have been kind of hilarious because no one's really gotten hurt because of them. And they're just they're True. like literally comic relief for Rudy. And also, you know, I think that's the other thing is like Rudy's, uh, you know, outside of Tommy, his organization feels kind of soft, kind of vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate because I don't I don't think this war that he started is over. No, or this war that was started. No, uh, it's um, but. It's one of those kind of like uh, Goodfellas things where when Vincent sees that dark sedan kind of cruising, they're not really making eye contact with him. Like, is this just him being paranoid? Could be the cops. Yeah, it could be so many. It could be the, yeah, the vice squad, you Uh know, getting tough and getting smart. It could be, or it could just be to John's cruising the strip, you know, because uh, yeah. it's not like they were staring. Like if they were staring him down on that slow drive by, I would be like, yeah, totally, Vincent, you got to be scared. But it doesn't seem like they they were doing that. Well, the, I guess the thing that's scariest to me in this entire episode is Bobby's storyline, mm. because Bobby is being extremely reckless here with the life of his kid. Yeah. I mean, he's putting his kid not just into a bad situation because he's seeing, you know, the seedy underworld of New York and and fucking and drugs and booze and he he's right in the middle of a mob war. Uh-huh. And it feels to me like and he's also in the middle of a police staying operation, right? Like, yeah, he's at the nexus of Fucksville here where right. he could either be arrested, which, oh, my God, can you imagine the, how his mother would react. I, I don't think to he, Bobby. I, I, I think his mother is no longer an entity on the show. She's just a screaming Harrison on the phone that could be hung up on. Yeah, I mean, she might fucking stab Bobby. I don't know. Oh, yeah, she, okay. I, yeah, she yeah. could go rogue and just <laughs> That's take a way out. for her to become an entity again. Or get, yeah. or, but, like, if, if he gets divorced, it doesn't fundamentally change his character. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he's divorced not, mentally already. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But but he might he might get arrested. Worse, he might get killed. I yeah, mean, they you, could there could be a firebomb come f- through the, the fucking door. Yeah, they could set that fire, uh, that, that place on fire, and his idiot brother, uh, or idiot, and, brother, idiot son would just, you know, get, 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 get burnt up in there. How can Bobby not see this? I think Bobby... I mean, this is a, a 
case of out of the frying pan into the fire if I've ever seen one. I think this is a man who has not ever taken his role as a parent seriously. And mm-hmm. you can kind of get away with that if your wife is willing to catch your slack. <laughs> um uh-huh. And until like the children get to be, you know, like older, but then you've got a problem where, you know, they, they don't respect their parents because their parents Mm -hmm. don't respect each other and they can play them against each other. And then they get to like this quasi adult phase and you haven't taught them a goddamn thing. Yeah. And And now it's too late. It's too late. Like you can, you can beat them up and that that's, and that only then for another year or two until it's just going to be straight up assault. And I mean... Yeah, and I'm not saying that's that's something people should do. I'm just saying no. like that's obviously you know how how Bobby was raised, um, mm-hmm. and like the idea that like um, I don't know, it's like the, the onus is on the kid to be smarter than me, like. <laughs> But okay. but why? Why would they? Yeah. You know, you see how fucked up I am, kid. Why did you copy me? It's like, because I didn't have any other examples, sir. I mean, I mean yeah, you're teaching them whether you you think you're teaching them or not. Yeah. No, but 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 you're. You're right. Like it's and it's funny. I, I thought the show was smart because you like Vince. Vince seems like he's a nice guy, mm-hmm. but you forget that he utterly abandoned his entire family in season one. And That's I true. thought it was nice of the show to remember that when he starts giving Bobby shit about, you know, well, you, you having your son at this like fucking porno bar. What the hell's going on? And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to give get, get a parenting advice from a guy who decided not to parent retired from the game. Yeah. Pretty pretty effective comeback, but but what Bobby's problem is, I don't, I, I, I like I I almost feel like he's got a drug problem that we don't know about because his affect of just being so put upon and so outraged, or or maybe it's more of like he thought he was doing something fun and everyone's looking the wrong way and now are looking the the other way and now people are starting to look at him and he's like you know the fuck that I do. And he just repeats that louder and more angry mm-hmm. every situation that he gets himself into. And more drunkenly. And more drunkenly. Uh, I, I think that might be his drug of choice. Oh, that's what I say. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, you know, sometimes I forget the alcohol. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fucking terrible drug to get it, to get it addicted <laughs> sure. to. Yeah. And, and he's got unfettered access to it. Yeah. At, at his job and yeah. his hangouts yeah. and at home. Yeah. So. Maybe he's got untreated syphilis. <laughs> it's driving him mad. It's, it's eating holes in his brain. Yeah. Oh, shit. But no, I mean, I think Maybe it's he's on ecstasy. I think it's a little bit like he's just become entitled to this lifestyle and everything yeah. kind of worked out for him. And he's been like fucking these girls behind his uh, wife's back. And mm-hmm. he's been living like a king. And now it's all crumbling down. And speaking of fucking the girls, uh-huh. the the kid is like, I in those beds, oh, he's eyeing in these girls. Yeah. Like this is the worst place you could put a 17 year old. Yeah. If you want them to uh, lead a happy, healthy life, he's kind of he's kind of got a repellent worldview, which might like handicap his the the damage he would do in the massage parlor, just because I feel like he'd be off putting to the women. Hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah. But so does Bobby, and Bobby still that's true. But Bobby's the boss, right? But Bobby is but like, this is the boss's kid, so I, bo- yeah, I don't know. True. That's true. But like also Bobby. Um, I don't think you'd describe a like one of his girls as a as a, a mook or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I thought that might be a racist term, but it turns out it's just like you know, it's it's more of like a, a waste of skin type of term. He yeah talks about. The, I would love to hear what Vincent because um, it's another nice character building mo- moment. And apparently, Vincent just gives this homeless guy money all the time mm-hmm. like every time he sees him, and, and like Vincent was about to explain. 
I think he's going to make a joke about his penis size because what what else would LD stand for? Uh-huh. But, but long, long dick. Um, but I, I thought he's going to go into his philosophy about that. But then, you know, the paranoid or prudent uh, analysis of the drive by happened. We didn't quite get it. But I thought that's mm-hmm. another kind of like, sh- you know, something that shows that Vincent is not like a complete dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has like some empathy to him. What, what I want to say one other thing before we move completely on from Bobby, and that is I thought it was interesting that the Public Morals Commission Task Force took all the time and effort to do a real no-shit sting, and then Bobby walks with a $100 liquor fine, mm-hmm. and the girl, like, what the hell? Like, that is so wild that you would take the time and effort to do this textbook takedown and get all this and then just let let him go. Catch and release. Yeah. Like, I don't get I don't I don't understand the strategy here. Um, I don't think they're that's part of the strategy. I, I think well, he doesn't have an in on the prosecutor's office like he's he's finally got a cop that'll play ball. But the prosecutors are all like, yeah, they, I just think it's a little judges. out of his jurisdiction. You know, yeah. he's. He's from the mayor's office. I mean, I'm sure they could, like, get the DA involved or whatever. I think and they all work for, like, that's technically, like, everyone works for the mayor. Like, the police, the prosecutor. Like, so, uh-huh. yeah, he could if he wanted to. He but could, may- yeah. Or And that's the thing is, like, it could be, I think he's got the political capital or the burn, or at least he wants to burn it. It's just like, you know, just like they didn't know how to run a proper raid. It could be mm-hmm. that they don't know which wheels need to be greased or what right. wheels need to be yanked out and replaced with effective wheels. Yeah. They because, thought, okay, we got him. We got him. Yeah. Like, we'll just ask, now, we'll just ask all the police commanders for our best people and, and, and all the non donut eating mm-hmm. hog trough feeding people will show up out of the goodness of civic duty. And uh-huh. like, that's like clearly they're fucking naive. So yeah, they need to get, uh, they need to get someone on the pro. They need to find a Chris in the prosecutor's office. Yeah, this is a learning experience for them, for sure. Uh, but, like, the other thing is, it seems like this this uh, public morals task force guy, which a, a sharp listener sh- uh, caught this in the first episode, that this guy was cruising gay bars. Hmm. Now it's made explicit that he has, yeah. you know, uh, a very nice, shiny, happy beard family at home. Um, and I feel like he's not, they're not going to get enough time to learn on the job before this ends up in scandal. And yeah. then everything gets reset back to back to zero. They did say afterward, uh, after the episode, uh, in the interviews, that this was partially to show that he doesn't have like some moral objection to mm. to the things that he's shutting down here. Um, you know, so if he if he runs into Paul's bar and shuts that shit down, it's not necessarily because you know he he feels like these people need to be. Uh, wiped off the map mm-hmm. it's more like well this is my job we're trying to clean up the streets for like safety reasons and uh like civil reasons that kind of stuff not the ethics or morality of it yeah i, wonder I thought how, was interesting i wonder how you square that yeah um it'd be like if i was part of a anti-podcasting task force and i don't have uh-huh. a, i don't have a problem with podcasts i just like you know those bald move guys that swear all the time a little too much for me like it seems pretty obvious that you're probably going to be working with a lot of allies that are a little bit more extreme than you and maybe a little bit more like, you know, mm-hmm. push these people out of out of out of public life entirely. And also you would know how disadvantaged your group is and how like vital these spaces are to them. Mm-hmm. Like what if like, you know, uh, I don't know this uh, is Gene, right? 
this gene from the, the public morals task force like if you did not have these bars to go to what would you do what would your life be like yeah um it's like they're incapable of doing that math mm-hmm. i mean it, it's it is like a common human foible because like how often have you seen like the real bible banging moralizers and like our government get brought down because they're sucking dudes off and uh bathroom stalls or sexting you know underage interns like it does seem like it's a pretty easy thing for humans to do to to square that that the uh, or the, yeah the round off that square but yeah especially when you it. maybe don't have a whole lot of choice in the matter mm. like i i could see a situation where you know, he gets into his current job not expecting to have to do that, right? Mm. I mean, I I don't think these these task force task forces were uh, a thing. Maybe when he got into the oh, job, oh yeah, he's and just trying he to get the guy. Like, yeah, right, kind of like uh, fucking Bob. What's what's his name? Uh, Chris Fuckface. Oh, you're talking uh, about uh, Lawrence Gilliard Jr. Yes. Okay, Chris. Oh, yeah, Chris. Uh, sort of like Chris, when he got into, you know, the police force, he was doing one thing and he kept saying, I'm not going to go in and do this thing. I'm not going to get involved in this again. I'm out of that. Uh, and yet they brought him back in. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I feel like this guy could have been brought into this, not knowing that he was going to have to shut down all these like gay clubs and right. And and then, then what's he going to do? So just like say no, I would love to give, I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I guess that's. Why get involved in government if you can't do, make stands like that? I don't know. That's uh-huh. the other thing. Is like I think that's you know maybe that's something that um, David Simon's saying about politics is that you know these people spend their whole lives and tons of treasure and all of their time to get into power and then they have to wield it in a way consistent to keep maintain that power rather than mm-hmm. you know pursuing some kind of like good. Um, so. Here you got this guy who's a closeted gay man would benefit a lot from, you know, uh, uh, gay people being more accepted by society. But he's doing his part to push him back into the shadows. So and and I can see, you know, from even just like a regular person's perspective, not somebody who's going out in the streets and Mm -hmm. busting the busting the heads of uh, people who are just like them. But like you get into a job, you know, maybe you're you're doing your job and then you're asked to do something sort of distasteful. Mm-hmm. And you have two options, right? One right. is you say no, or one one is you do it, and and you, you die a little inside, uh, but you do the thing and you move on. The other is you say no and you risk blowing up the entire career that you've built so far, right? Yeah. Like you have a lot of investment there. That's true. And to try the to to do something a little bit distasteful to yourself, uh, in order to just get to the next phase yeah. or move on uh, in your career, I think is very tempting. I mean, that's the definition of a slippery slope because yeah. you compromise and every compromise makes it easier to compromise the next time. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, slippery slope is a well-known and you just get further in well-known logical fallacy, but it's not, it's one of those logical fallacies that is only a fallacy. If you can't easily make the connection from the one state to the other. Right. You know, um, it's you know, a thing that actually happens right. and applies but to in, in a, for an in, and for an individual at absolutely like, mm-hmm. you know, compromising your morals and ethics is something that's very hard to do the first time. And then increasing probably same way they talk about killing a person. You know, your first person you kill is like, <laughs> sure, momentous. But then you make a habit out of it and it starts to get pretty easy. Don't I know? 
Don't yeah, know. right? Desensitization. <laughs> it's just a bitch. Like, oh, man, that first... <laughs> First ho- murdered hobo was <laughs> cried for like as a puppy, and then no. Let's That's talk about funny Paul. to joke about. Yeah, let's talk about Paul. Yeah. Uh, so he opened his club. Finally, it got done. Uh, he's probably in a lot of debt, I imagine, both to Vincent and also to other people. Uh, but the club opening looked to be a success. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had a full house, as far as I could tell. I was impressed, because like, I knew that we were supposed to be impressed by Sarah Vaughn, or she was going to be a stand-in for someone, but she's a real-life figure, and she's this, like, uh, I guess, like, Aretha Franklin jazz singer before Aretha Fra- Franklin, and she was going through, like, a career renaissance in the 70s. So, like, this was a pretty huh. big get for Paul, I feel like, in this yeah. in this era and time, so... Um, and kind of like shows the classiness that he, that he wants to maintain. And it, I mean, it seems like this place is so big and so beautiful and so amazing that it's just going to serve as a gut punch when it gets inevitably (laughs) destroyed. Yeah. Like either a bunch of dudes, baseball bats are going to come and tune it up. Like Frankie did the hi hat in season one, Mm -hmm. uh, or I guess it's the hi hat cigarette, cigarette machine. Um, or it's going to go up in flames or Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's going to be a shame. It's just taken away from Paul and given to somebody else, and then mm-hmm. they turn it into, like, a fuck club. And, like, I I, it's, I feel like Paul is hanging on to a thread um, and this, like, do, getting this club open, and they're setting us up to when he loses this. I think he has to. Like, yeah. that's, that, that it, he's just going to go off into the deep end. Um, but and it could know. come from a couple of different avenues. I right. think, you know, Firebomb could come through the window. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, the cops could shut it down. Right. Or honestly, like just the relationship between him and his dude, I, I forget his name, could blow up. His boyfriend, and, yeah. And there could be a big fight over the club and like, because who owns this thing, right? Right. Is, is it both of them? I think it's both of them. And then, you know, Vin, and, and arguably been, like, Vincent on Rocky. owns the money because, or owns the right, club. Right, owns he's, part of it, yeah. Um, and it, they've been on, you know, a Rocky, a Rocky foundation. Right. Mostly because of that's, Paul. That's the exact opposite. They've Rocky. been on a shifting sandy foundation, Rocky waters. Yeah, it's I don't like know. gravel. It's gravel's Rocky. <laughs> okay, a, fair. Yeah, yeah they're, loose they're, Rocky foundation. Uh huh. Just it's just like slay. It's like those hills on Uncharted Four. You just <laughs> right. get right to the edge, and oh god, I'm slow. It's a literal slippery slope that they've tried to build this club on. <laughs> um, I will say that like I thought his boyfriend was super sweet. Yeah. That opening night, like, hey, I, you know, you just worry about, you know, get, you know, you, you just worry about running the bar and I want to take care of all the details behind the scenes, even though Paul's mm-hmm. been kind of a prick about this process, uncompromising. Uh, like, I, I felt like that, that uh, they put that all behind to get the, to get the thing, to get the thing launched, the big yeah. night. And it's I just nice. hope it stays behind, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tend to do this too. Like anytime, like a big event, I tend to ruin it for myself because I get so worked up in the details. I don't enjoy it. Yeah, like that's happening right now with my impending book launch. Like I am so <laughs> fucking bunched up about it, and like it's going to be a relief instead of like, hey, look at this cool thing I did. It's like you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. It's a good thing I have a, a sweet sweet wife that uh, takes takes a lot of shit uh, uh, off my plate um, and doesn't put much much on it. Uh, what else we oh um let's talk about the pimps oh yeah yeah cc finds out about uh lance mink being out and larry brown being in and i thought this was going to be another thing where he leads Lori down the garden path and ends up beating the shit out of her Mm -hmm. but 
he I, is this a sign that he's aware of his of his slipping grip that like Lori like he's like she wouldn't lie to me. Lori was absolutely going to not tell you the truth, but I don't know. I yeah. I I I, I, I was like, what is the significance of, of that scene? I I'm not sure because on honestly. the one hand you could say. She wasn't truthful with Cece until she had to be. Right, until he straight up asked her about right. it. Right, and he probably already knew the answer to the question, mm-hmm. is I think. And and like almost like the way he had the conversation with the other girls, like maybe she had fed him that information and he was just fishing. He's like, yeah, I knew she wouldn't lie to me. The other way uh, to read that is that he has so cowed her back into submission that she feels like she has to be honest with him. Um, but I, I just thought I feel like it's maybe a little of both. Yeah. Is that weird? Like, no, you're right. Cause I think CC is looking here to see if his beating was effective. Yeah. His beating and then his chocolates. Yeah. Uh, and his puppy. No puppy in this episode. I didn't see. No, I didn't see one either. Mm. It's in the river. Probably. Uh, where's that pup at string? <laughs> where's that pup at Simon? Where's the puppy at? Yeah. So, puppy watch. So I want to be if we got a season two, there's no puppy. I'm like, where's yep. that puppy at? Uh, that, so, puppy's in a, that puppy's in a vacant, I know. <laughs> I, I do think that CC is testing her here, and CC is satisfied by the answer that he gets, right? Because mm-hmm. he straight up asked her... Uh, satisfied, well, he's... he uh, Satisfied might be too strong of a word. Okay, th- that's fair. But, you know, he's comparing it to the last encounter they had where yeah. she straight up lied to him, or yeah. tried to. Yeah. And then he found... He knew, and he beat the shit out of her, uh-huh. and now she's not going to lie to him in this scenario. I yeah. think that's what's going through CeCe's head. And he's <laughs> less, he's almost satisfied by that. You know, you can, he's temporarily satisfied by that. That's what I meant. Cause you can see on his face that he is doing a lot of a mental arithmetic and gymnastics to make it okay. That his lady, his main lady is being turned yeah. out by another pimp. Right. And he rationalizes like, well, Larry's the trick. Cause he, but he's getting paid to, you know, mm-hmm. And Larry's uh, not even really a pimp anymore, yeah, and like that kind of right. thing. He's, you're right. He's he's doing he's doing backflips to try and figure it out. Yeah, and I don't because like you know, CC just feels up until this episode felt like a volcano mm-hmm. that's getting closer and closer to erupt. And I felt like I don't know the U.S. Geological Survey gave a CC report and says that apparently the caldera has cooled down a little bit. But I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of tension, a lot of tension in his brow as he's trying to figure out how he can let this this pimp mack on his woman and be mm-hmm. cool with it, you know? Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about uh, the outreach? Uh, okay. We did, I think, a little bit in the intro. I mean, this is tied up with the pimps, too. Yeah, I, like, this negotiation of the pimps is kind of ridiculous um, because I don't know what the neighbors get out of it. Like, okay, from so your kids won't see the pimps. Maybe that's what they get mm-hmm. out of it. And you yeah. won't see it. Mm-hmm. They'll just be outside, like, in the dark of night. And, like, you know, then this the the, the taxpayers and the players will, will not cross paths. But, like, I, to me, this feels like, um, it, it just feels like kind of a, you know, an early goings of Amsterdam situation in The Wire where, like, the cops are like, you guys need to practice this in these few blocks. And the first few times they came back around, some had moved, but there's some people like, hey, I can make a lot of money on this now vacant corner. Like, it yeah. feels like from a competition aspect, if you're the pimp that shows up at 9 o'clock, <laughs> right. you're going to, like, and then, you know, it's not like this has got any kind of official backing. 
So, and the pimps will just go back to the status quo, which they've gotten the status quo anyway. It's almost like Abby and her cohorts are just trying to um, appeal to the neighbor's compassion for the girls, which mm-hmm. seems to kind of like I was surprised to see that worked in like the uh, uh, the community council. Like people are like, yeah, you're right. It's the women just get the shit into the stick and the pimps and the cops and the mob are, you know, not paying any of the cost for this. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought there was probably more blame placed on the women too uh mm-hmm. in that scenario mm-hmm. but no the town council seems to be somewhat reasonable yeah and they're trying to like you know i, I see that they're working both ends they're trying to yeah. get the neighborhood to be like do you understand like maybe we can work out a deal they're trying to work with the community to say hey we should all work together to de-emphasize policing prostitution and mm-hmm. i mean this is another great uh simon hallmark he 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 gets you to accept these facts and figures that are insane like a single arrest on a prostitute ties up one, sometimes two cops for seven hours mm-hmm. when they could be out fighting property crime and thefts and murders and rapes. They're doing this, you know, essentially nuisance crime, and it takes up so much of the of their fucking time. Like, yeah. do you really want them emphasizing this or would you rather them emphasizing? I, But on the other hand, like, I would hate living like if my neighborhood suddenly just like had pimps and hoes strolling up and down it at all hours of the night. That would mm-hmm. be a pretty big problem with me. Yeah, or all hours of the day, as yeah. it may be. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like there's some kind of hybrid solution here where you get most of the pimps to agree to this thing, and you know they they follow it, and then the pimps who aren't going to abide by these agreements mm-hmm. and rules, you just call the cops on. And yeah, you're going to have to hurt some women in the process, but it's less women that than would have been hurt. There's your reasonable the modern other, position again, I, Jim. I know. But but you got to do it right. It's it's yeah. the greater good. Do you think? Um, I mean, I I always, every time I see this stuff, I feel like it's it's Amsterdam. The solutions all like yeah. every major city should have a red light district. It's yeah. designated, and like oh I don't know. Uh, there are cities in the world that do this. Yes, Amsterdam, like Amsterdam, <laughs> which is of course named after Amsterdam. Right. Um. <laughs> you know the the pioneering experiment that done in, in the nineties Baltimore. Yeah. Um. But I. It just seems like that's the obvious solution. Like, designate four or five blocks. The taxpayers just don't, don't want to go. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. And the people that do, and it's like, and there's still, like, the rule of law applies. It's just that you can, it's just you, you, you can only zone so much uh, prostitution and gambling zones, and you put it in one section, and there you go. Yeah. You know, uh, you can kind of militarize the police presence there and not have it like spill out into just the fucking streets. I I still don't know why. Why doesn't this work? Why? Why isn't this? Because tried? we'd have to admit that these things that we've been fighting wars against for so long are not that bad. Yeah. And are natural and actually don't hurt as many people as the effort that we're put into right. squashing them. And it's not just like. Yeah, it's not just a direct harm. It's also the passive harm. Like, mm-hmm. if your police are consumed to drug and prostitution, what yeah. are they not investigating? Right. Those so, seven hours per prostitute. Right. It's 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 not just a law. And it's also the cynicism of, like, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't want to go on a... It's changing. The, the one bright spot is it is changing in this country. It's it does feel to. a little bit like there's some people like the, the Overton window on especially drug interdiction. Yeah. I don't know about prostitution, um, yeah, I don't either. but it does seem like the window is moving a little bit to where like, man, how 
it's the fact that we just play whack-a-mole like heroin uh-huh. ah, eliminated oh ah, street price is so high okay crack cocaine is a new thing oh ah, now methamphetamines ah now it's back to heroin ah fentanyl like it's just this psych whack-a-mole game that we could play for generations and keep increasing body counts and prison t- terms and felons <laughs> in our society but why why are we doing it um is that i feel like that's about all the things we need to talk about yeah hey before we get into feedback i want to talk about the club which is how we pay our bills around here uh club.baldmove.com is a way for you to directly support our production of podcasts uh which is always a plus since um as i've said many times before no way we'd be here talking about the deuce right now if uh we weren't uh didn't have the financial freedom to do so as a full-time job because you know We'd have to work for 40, 50 hours a week instead of doing podcasts. So you get the benefit of continuing keeping Bald Move uh, humming like a top and continue making content. But you also get a lot of premium features for yourself. There's ad-free feed, so you never have to hear me drone on about this or mattresses or whatever. Food delivery service, uh, audio book, uh, uh, sweater, cream. Shave, sweater, shaving device because uh-huh. you get those pills you know those annoying pills in your sweater it's the time of year again yeah you get you get, you get epillremover.com and use product x pill and you get 25 percent off your for and they're subscription based like as soon mm-hmm. as the batteries you just throw it away and they send you another one at the sweater shavers recommended uh the replacement system it's only 40 dollars a month it's, it makes your sweaters look brand new, but you don't want to hear me talk about that. You want to hear me talk about the deuce. You can get ad-free feeds. So you never have to hear about that stuff again. Uh, and video features of our pod, video versions of our podcast, uh, special features like Quip. Uh, there's going to be a lot of this. You know, we talked about the season of the cage, super serious film fest. There's going to be some aspects of that that are behind the club paywall. Uh, but also, yeah, you know, support your 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 content creators that you like at club.baldmove.com. Uh, we have some listener feedback. Uh, you can send feedback in for this podcast by uh, sending it to TV at baldmove.com. Uh, first up, Danielle said, you wondered whether there had been other cameos on the deuce from other Times Square fixtures from that era. We talked about like similar to the real life Omar and the real life uh, Avon Barksdale. Those guys were like showed up as like ministers and community figures and politicians. Um, she says that Nan Goldwyn, Golden rather, was a photographer and bartender uh, from this era and made a cameo in the art show scene that mm-hmm. Abby set up in the hi-hat. Uh, her photography from the Ballad of Sexual Dependency is used here. And you can see her chatting with Vincent and looking at a photo of herself. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, they point that out in the after credits thing uh, for that episode. Um, and then a little little bit of criticism from Anne Louise said, I love your coverage as always, and I know it was all in spontaneous discussion and not maliciously meant in the slightest, but... The extended comparison of sex workers to zoo animals made me uncomfortable. I totally got the point you were making, and I agree that all people who have been kept in positions of enforced dependence are going to need help transitioning to independence. However, as we've seen, all these women have some degree of agency, and equating them with animals was hard to hear as the metaphor went on. Um, So... I mean, you're right, and that was pretty gross, and of course I didn't intend it to be that. Um, but I've noticed that's kind of like all the my go-to analogies to try to explain the plights of oppressed minorities tend to uh, make the minorities seem either bestial or childlike. Like I remember last year I was talking about mm-hmm. like, you know, say like if you got, you know, your neighborhood baseball team, 
and like all the old kids are monopolizing the ball diamond and no one stops them. And then the parents come over and say, hey, let the little kids play uh, like that's. And, and I went and just, you know, it's 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 probably a smarter analogy and there's more to it. But the, the fundamental thing is I just made the minorities asking for equal treatment. I equated them to the little kids mm-hmm. and like. That's a bitch because, you know, what what you're really saying is kind of like, you know, these prostitutes are in some sort of slavery situation where you're trying to address the power imbalance, right? trying to address the power imbalance without yeah. making the the people that are in the power imbalance less than mm-hmm. you're like trying to say their political power is less than rather than their personal power. And and I don't. No, I I would love to hear suggestions for a good go to analogy for things like that, because um, I find that analogies are very effective in getting people to think beyond the like because because it's, it's, it's something you can really quickly say to be like, here is a situation and think about it, not in the terms of like raw facts and figures and nightly news, but just in basic situation like Aesop fair uh, Aesop's fable type of parable, mm-hmm. like like the way. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm like Jesus, uh, Jesus taught in parables. So do I, uh, and he made very problematic comparisons of, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying and, 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 and I feel bad about it and I'm going to try to do better. I just, I just also, I think it's, it's probably, um, probably some latent kind of, uh, I, I mean like bias and racism, uh, or sexism that I'm making, you know, that I'm grasping for these things. And that's the first thing that comes to mind. Hmm. But I, I would, I would love uh, pointers on, on how to do better on that because I, I, I do think some form of analogy highlighting the basic unfairness and how, cause I think, I think well-meaning moderates come into these situations, fully believing that people should be equal. Mm-hmm. And they think of like how they would act from their position of privilege in these situations. And like, you know, they're kind of, uh, you know, like, Oh, well, I wouldn't be in that situation because they can't imagine having a family as bad as some of these girls would have, or having a public education system as bad as some of the ones they grow up with or having police, like their, their interactions with the police are not the same interactions that the, and trying to get them to understand that like, yes, everyone should be equal, but not everyone is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like like and what are the systematic ways that 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 keep people in these one down positions without making themselves feel like they're one down? I, it's it's tough. So thanks for the thanks for the criticism. I appreciate it. Um, again, if you want to send feedback, you can do so at TV at baldmove.com. Uh, also, we have threads for the deuce on the forums, forums.baldmove.com. If you'd like to uh, comment with your fellow fans there. Uh, we'll be back next week for another, I'm sure, awesome and uh, potentially one of these episodes is going to be soul crushing. <laughs> it has to be. There yeah. are so many chickens that have are, are there. They're around the roost, mm-hmm. but they have not quite come home. But you can see them stacked up like a like a busy <laughs> airport. Uh, I just like they're in, in, in the wire fashion. I'm expecting them all happen in like one single episode. And, it's just and we've feel only like, got two more episodes. So traditionally, it's the penultimate episode. Yeah. That's the hammer. Yeah. So put on put, let's put on our big, big bad wolf pants for, for next week for potentially Bobby's kid death watch. Bobby's kid death watch. Yeah, I think one Paul, episode T like, minus one episode. Uh, yeah, like I it, it, uh, hmm. It'd be interesting to see how they set things up for the next time skip, because yeah. there's a possibility for a lot of characters to die like off camera. <laughs> OK, yeah. 
but yeah, uh, just just uh, just just uh, be be strong going into next week. We'll see you here back uh, on the next, the following Tuesday. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.